also want to read a verse. Corey mentioned it, but I want to read a verse as we get into our Easter service, and I want to kind of give you an intro and a snippet of what's to come this morning. Romans 8, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Here's what you're going to see this morning. You're going to hear praises. You're going to hear testimony of God at work. But you're going to be introduced to three different types of people. And we believe the three types of people that belong and are in this world and we can all relate to. Three different types of people that God's resurrection speaks desperately to. And if you find yourselves in the shoes of one of these types of people, you're going to see just how powerful the Spirit is in the resurrection of Jesus and how it gives us the solution to the questions we have and the problems we have. And we want you to pay attention this morning because you may find yourself in one of these shoes. If so, pay attention to God's Word and the power that exists there. That's it. No more announcements. I want us to pray and I want us to get back into worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you again for Jesus. Thank you again for all that you do. Thank you for this morning. I pray that you would help us to remove the, the week before. I pray that you'd help us remove the, the things that are clouding our mind and our hearts, the things that are bringing great anxiety upon our shoulders, the things that are bringing great, great uh, sh- shame and stress. God, you would allow us to be able to pay attention and to hear the joy that is in this day and what you've done. And if there's someone here who's unable to rejoice because of whatever the situation is, you would comfort them, you'd be with them, and you'd remove whatever it is that's bringing great stress and allow them to see the joy of this day. God, bring us close to you. Save those that aren't. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The resurrecting power of Jesus rescued me from a life of anger and bitterness. I was raised in a church that was based on works and legalism. And I knew a lot about the Bible and a lot about God, but never had a relationship with Him. In college, I met my husband, Adrian, who was a believer, and we joined a new church together. One night after a women's Bible study, I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins and to become the Lord of my life. That night changed my life forever. I was so excited about my new faith and the new journey that I was taking um, as a believer. And the sad part was my church found out about me being saved in this new church. And the pastor and my parents contacted me and told me I was no longer welcome to be a part of that church family or the family where I was raised. I struggled for many years with feelings of abandonment, hurt, and anger. And even though I was a believer and on this new journey, my heart was hard and dark. One Sunday here at Harvest, there was a sermon on forgiveness. And we were challenged to write down the names of people who had hurt us so deeply. I wrote down 
the names of my family and the pastor and those who had hurt me so deeply and brought them to the steps and laid them down at the foot of the cross. That day, the Holy Spirit stirred in my heart and shone a light into my heart and my life. And I felt the burden of anger and bitterness lifted from me. Physically, I could feel lighter in my heart and in my mind. That day, my life was changed forever by the resurrecting power of Jesus. resurrection we above all men are most to be pitied but the truth is Jesus Christ has risen from the dead after he went to the cross on our behalf to pay the penalty for the sin that we each one commit and so we celebrate that truth today that Jesus Christ is risen hey listen I have a question for you this morning are you a skeptic skeptic are you someone who doubts Are you someone that questions? Are you someone that will refuse to believe until there's enough evidence to prove to you, to convince you that you should believe? How about when it comes to Jesus? Does this describe you? Are you a skeptic when it comes to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, today, here's what I hope. I hope that today you will see that without the resurrection, the skeptic will never be convinced Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the skeptic will not be convinced. The resurrection of Jesus speaks, and it brings resolution for the skeptic. A thousand years before the life of Christ, we see Israel rejecting God as king. And they rejected God as king because they could not live by faith. They wanted to live by sight. They wanted to see a king that would go before them, that would fight their battles for them, and they wanted a king before them that they could see that would be the one that would bring them peace. And then at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, we have Jesus, we see Jesus showing up in front of his people on a donkey, humble, in the fullest expression of kingship, as he comes as both God and man in the form of Jesus in the flesh, and they did not recognize him. And we see Jesus weeping because his own, his own people did not know the hour of their visitation. They didn't know that he was their way for peace, their way to peace. They said, this is Jesus the prophet. And when they made that statement that Jesus is the prophet, we hear in them hope, we hope, we hope that He is our Savior, that He is our King, that He is our Messiah. And then comes the cross. At the cross, their hope is crushed, and it gives birth to the skeptics, sinking the skeptics' roots deep into the soil of doubt. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31, as we're going to spend the next few moments together. Verse 24 says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger 
into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And when I read that, I put myself in Thomas's shoes and I think today when I look back, what a reckless statement to make regarding Jesus. I will never believe. What a dangerous and careless statement to make regarding Jesus. I will never believe. That's pretty easy, though, to say when all hope is lost. Think about what Thomas had just gone through over the past two and a half days. The one, Jesus, that he had hoped in, that he had walked with, that he had cried with and laughed with, the one that he had loved with all his might, He just watched be crucified on the cross. Still not able to make sense of it. Watching him being sacrificed on the cross. Crucified. I think in a moment like that, with all hope, whatever hope remained for Thomas, thinking that Jesus could possibly be our King and our Savior, watching it melt away at the cross. The emotional energy he had expended by watching him be crucified would make it easy to say, you know what, I'll never believe. I'm not going to believe. I hear you, those closest to him, the other disciples saying, we have seen him. Imagine those closest to you saying, the one that died is now alive. I bet many of us would have a hard time accepting that truth until we saw. Why did he doubt? He needed proof. Hope was lost. His peace had been robbed from him as he watched Jesus being sacrificed on the cross. Imagine it this way, church. Imagine the closest person to you right now died. You watched them die. Imagine that. Now imagine two, three days later, those closest to you come and say, we saw that person alive. He is alive. She is alive. Think of the emotional expenditure of watching that person die. Hope being lost as you see that person die. Having your peace robbed from you and then the closest to you say, he's alive, she's alive. I can tell you personally, I would need to see for myself that that individual is alive before I, alive before I would believe. So here's what we can learn from Thomas. Without the resurrection, the skeptic will never be convinced. The cross took the one most dear to him. It crushed his hope that Jesus was his Savior. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just another prophet, just another prophet that did some really awesome things, and then he died. So here's the problem. Some of us in this room are skeptics. We have a hard time believing. We have doubts. We lack hope. What causes you to doubt in Jesus, our risen Savior? Maybe you're like Thomas. Maybe you've spent your life loving Loving, loving to not be loved in return. Maybe you've opened yourself up to believe too many times to have your hopes dashed. Maybe life for you has been a string of defeats and hardships and failures and pain. Maybe you've lost all hope that Jesus can and provide you with peace, the peace that he promises. You think, you believe, Jesus is dead, he's not real, and if he is, he certainly doesn't care. Well, listen to this, church. Is there any hope for the skeptic? 
without the resurrection, the skeptic will never be convinced. But through the resurrection, the skeptic can come to faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And Jesus says, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Here's what I see in these words. While it must have been extremely miraculous for Thomas to be able to see and touch the physical Jesus and the nail marks in his hands and and where the spear went into his side. The real power came when Jesus spoke the words to Thomas, do not disbelieve. And he called him to believe. And in that moment, in that moment, all of Thomas's doubts were washed away. All of his skepticism was put to rest. And he uttered, my Lord and my God, the first person to ever recognize and speak that Jesus is both man and God. He is the man that came to sacrifice himself for me on my behalf in the form of God. Verse 29 says this, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so here's the question for you right now, church. Do you see Jesus? Do you hear him? Do you hear him calling you to lay down your disappointments, your hurts, your failures, your fears, your uncertainty, and with faith accept him and say, my Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say when the person says that? He says that you will be blessed. And here's what it means to be blessed by Jesus. Yeah, it does convey a condition of happiness. But even more importantly than your happiness, this is, what this, this is what it means. When Jesus says you will be blessed, it means you will be accepted by God by making that profession of faith. Faith. Laying down your skepticism and saying, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ is alive and risen. You will be blessed. Verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's time, skeptic, to lay aside your doubts, just like Thomas did. It's time to see Jesus, and it's time to hear him, and it's time to follow him. The resurrected Jesus is calling, and it's calling to you, skeptic. And the resurrection is speaking. It's speaking even today, 2,000 years later, and it brings resolution to all your doubts. Turn to Jesus. And remember this. The moment you do, his spirit fills you and opens your eyes to wonders that come from Jesus that you can never, ever imagine apart from him.
My story is a lot like the prodigal son. I grew up in a Christian home, surrounded by the gospel, surrounded by people who love and fear God. But it never changed my life. It never changed my heart. My selfishness reared its ugly head, and I fell into a pattern of pleasing myself. This pattern led to drugs, alcohol, women. I ended up failing out of university because of it. That led me to moving to Colorado. I thought that moving to Colorado was going to be an opportunity to find myself and find my new faith. Um, I ended up definitely finding myself, found out how selfish I really was. My patterns deepened. My selfishness grew. That ended up leading to me losing my job out there and moving in with a few people who I hardly knew had just met a couple months before. I ended up spending a week and a half in a perpetual high, numbing myself, trying to forget about the darkness that I brought in, into my own life. By God's grace, woke up one morning and all of his conviction came crashing down at once. And I just, I realized the darkness in my life. And fortunately, within the next couple of days, I would be moving back to West Michigan. I ended up moving back in with my parents and the opportunity of moving back to West Michigan gave me the ability to surround myself again with a group of, of God-fearing, God-loving Christians and getting plugged into a church that, that taught the gospel unashamedly. And I ended up serving in that church and through God's power in my life, he changed my heart and today, I feel a freedom that I've never felt in my life before. Second person we want to look at today is the selfish person. I thank Josh for his testimony because he testified very clearly that without the resurrection, the selfish are never satisfied. It's ironic because they're looking for satisfaction, but they're rejecting the very one who gives them satisfaction. And there's many different ways to see selfishness, but at the heart of it, all of us would agree that it is an overemphasis of ourself and our opinion of ourself. Think of a person who thinks they're better than others. That is a person who self-exalts. They're exalting themselves. They're pursuing everything for their own pleasure and their own benefit. That's selfish ambition. Thinking your actions somehow grant you better standing with God, that's self-righteousness. But you see, without the resurrection, the selfish will never be satisfied. Our first priority is ourself, our advancement, what we want, what we need. Don't get in my way. But the selfishness of a man can be broken by the power of the resurrection because the resurrection calls the selfish person 
to humility. I want to focus our attention on a person who is self-righteous. All of us know the Apostle Paul. If you understand his life, formerly he was Saul of Tarsus. He most likely was around the same age as Jesus, born around the same time, grew up in the same era, the same situations even, as Jesus went perhaps to the temple and heard Jesus rebuking Pharisees and the religious leaders, him being trained as one of those. He knew of Jesus' trial and his crucifixion. He might have even been there. But certainly he would have condemned him to death. It says that he hated the way and anyone who followed this way. His own testimony, inclu- his own testimony includes that he, he says to the Galatians, he said, you heard of my former life in Judaism. He said, I persecuted the church of God violently. And I tried to destroy it. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people. I was the highest. He says, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But get this. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus Christ. The resurrected Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He says this, he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. He was blind. He had no idea. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. So what hope is there for the selfish? We'll see in Philippians 3 that the resurrection breaks us of selfish pursuits and calls us to humility and service. I love Philippians 3. Paul is talking about these things that he would boast in his flesh or have confidence in his flesh. And he says this, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, yeah, I have more. And then he goes through all the things that he would count as gain. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the Hebrews, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. Everybody looked to my righteousness. As to zeal, you want to see how passionate I am about this? I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was considered blameless. Think of this guy. Everything going for him. And then he makes this staggering statement. He says, yet everything, everything that I had counted as gain, I count it now as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, not just those things that I listed. He says, no, I count everything everything a loss. Why? He says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything because I want to gain Christ. And he goes on, and I I think of this. He says, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to be found in him. And he says this, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own. I don't want to have a righteousness of my own because think of this. Perhaps in in our day, he would have been the guy who goes to church. He reads his Bible on a regular basis. He he serves faithfully in the church. He attends a small group. He even listens to Christian radio. People look to him for advice. And he says, all of this did nothing, nothing to earn me favor with God. None of it. And let me ask this of you today. Are you coming here because you think that by going here or doing certain things that somehow God is pleased with you? As if you are earning something before man. 
and earning something before God. Your reputation is at stake. I think of what Paul says. He says, all of that stuff became to me rubbish, refuse, food for dogs, so that I would gain Christ instead. He missed the very point for why you and I would do these things. I'm not reading my Bible so that I could pacify my conscience and think that now my day is going to be better. You're not here today, Lord willing, because you want to just check a box and say, I went to Easter Sunday, or I go to church on a regular basis. No, the very point of why we're doing is because in our hearts we are drawn to the community of believers because we all love Jesus Christ. We all want to know Him. That's why you would participate in serving. As Josh shared, God broke him of pursuing things selfishly, and he came to the point of serving people. That's what Paul says. That's what became of me. He says this, I want to know Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own. I want to have the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the one that depends on faith. And he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Think of that. I want to know the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings. What does he know about the sufferings of Christ? What does he know about the death of Christ? You just look over to Philippians 2. He says this man, he says to all of us, don't do anything out of selfishness or vain conceit. Look to others as more important than yourselves. Think of the mind of Christ. This man was in the very presence of God, in glory. He did not consider that position a thing to hold on to for his own benefit. He gave that up and became a man. He became a man and humbled himself to be a servant. And he served so faithfully that he was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says that is the power of the resurrection in us. That you and I would die to our selfish pursuits and that we would humbly serve God because of the great love with which he loved us, that we would look at that and say, God, that is more glorious to me than anything else. I want to know that power. Because it takes no power at all to live, to live selfishly, doesn't it? It takes no power at all to live selfishly. Just ask your kids. When you come home from work, gentlemen, isn't it easier to just plop down on the couch than to actually serve and help put kids to bed and do all that sort of stuff it takes no power to sit there and passively say no thank you it takes great power the power of jesus christ in you to break you and say god help me to serve continually i don't have the strength i don't have that desire help me to do this that is the power of the resurrection sadly that's not even suffering yet we need power for even the simplest things because apart from christ we can do nothing nothing Think of Jesus and the example. I think of the selfish person being moved to humility. Didn't Jesus even say, the greatest among you must be the least? Didn't he say that whoever would save his life would lose it? But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it? Because what does it profit a man to gain the world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus died for all. So that those who live might no longer, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, like 
the Apostle Paul, the power of the resurrection is still seen today. You and I can think of countless testimonies of people who I would say, as Hebrews says, the world was not worthy. world was not worthy, who became like him in his death, giving all for the sake of Christ. Todd mentioned last week the gentleman who went down and gave their lives to reach the Alka Indians. One of them was Jim Elliott, and he so famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I ask you this, church, do you see the value of Christ? As we sing and we celebrate Jesus, do you see the value of him? Do you see in his death and resurrection the power you have to die to yourself and live new life in him? Do you see that? Do you want that? Because the power of the resurrection calls the selfish to joyful humility in the service of Christ. I was born into a Christian home, and my family and I went to church every Sunday. My parents then, at the age of 13, got a divorce, and my uh, dad decided to walk away from his walk with Christ. I then felt broken. I was sad. I was angry. I didn't know how to go on. I felt like suicidal thoughts. And I just felt a longing for this love that I had never really received from a father. That love brought me down a road that at that point I didn't see as destruction, but was destruction. I was longing for love um, in men. I was longing for the acceptance from friends. So throughout high school, I just jumped back and forth from different people searching for that love that that I never received. And... In that search, I never received it either. I began going deeper and deeper into a depression, and there was a a moment in London when I hadn't talked to any friends or my roommate in a month, and I was just uh, sitting, watching a movie, and felt the Holy Spirit tug on me and open my eyes to see my life and where it was going. I saw a life of more pain and more struggle, and God showed me that I needed to get out of that. I needed to run to him. I needed to long for that love, but long for it from him and see who he is and how he can love me as a father. I moved back home. I jumped into the church community and felt true love, love for my Father in heaven and love from a community that he surrounded me with. He not only gave me that fatherly love that I had been longing for, but he also gave me love here on earth as well with my friends and with a loving husband. And I now feel the love that I never thought I deserved or never thought was going to ever be for me. God's power has opened my eyes and shown me my ways and directed my life into a a new path and a new direction and for that I'm so grateful and so thankful. Among the skeptic and the selfish we also see the shamed in the world. The shamed are those who are from the inside out eaten by the failures and the mistakes 
and the sins of the past or the words and the experiences of others to tell them that they're not worthy, they never will be, and will never find hope in this world. And so they lie awake at night begging God to have mercy on them. And I wonder this morning if we don't have many shamed sitting here in these seats. You know what I'm talking about. Haunted Haunted by the nightmares of the things that you've said to family members. The things you did not do in the past or the things that you did do in the past that have hurt those around you. That at, the, at, the, at your hands, there are people walking the planet right now that you have let down, that you have failed. Or maybe you lie awake at night thinking about the things that you're father or mother said to you growing up as a child that made you feel worthless or someone you looked up to that let you down and betrayed you and so now you're filled with constant lies that you are too far gone to ever be forgiven or saved these are the shamed do we see the shamed in the Bible? You better believe it. Let me give you an example of one who experienced great shame. Jesus is with his disciples. He washes their feet and then he gives them the bread and the wine and he institutes the Lord's Supper and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And he said, among you is one that will betray me. And then Jesus began to say a lot of important things to his disciples because he knew he was about to leave. And he told his disciples he was going to leave, that something would happen to him. And Peter, Peter steps out and says, nothing will ever happen to you. I won't let it happen. I will lay down my life for you. And what did Jesus say? He said, Peter, I'll tell you this, that before the rooster crows, when he crows three times, you have denied me three times. And what do we see happening? We see the night go on. We see Jesus up all night praying. We see the mob come and take Jesus and the disciples scatter, just as Jesus said they would. But one remains and follows closely behind, waiting and watching, following his Savior, Peter. And when he comes to a certain moment, standing in the courts by the fire, waiting to see what's going to happen through the night as Jesus is carried off before the high priest, he gets confronted by a little girl. Hey, 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 you were, you're one of the disciples. You, I've seen you, you're with Jesus. And what does he do? He says, no, I don't, I don't know this man. And then others start to chime in. No, 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 I don't know who you're, I, I, I don't know Jesus. And a third time, probably even using language that would make us blush. I do not know this man. And the one who had just said he'd lay his life down for his Savior denies him. And what happens? Jesus looks at him and it says he goes off weeping bitterly because he remembers what Jesus said. Weeping bitterly. Oh, the shame. But now imagine this. The night and then the day and the morning approaches and you see things only get worse as the one that you said you would die for and be there for ends up getting nailed to a cross and dies. And what's left in your heart is that the last statement I got to make for the person that I love the most was a denial. You better believe shame came over Peter. 
And oh, we could only imagine the shame that the disciples felt after the man they laid everything down for for three years was killed and in the grave. And it seemed like all was lost. And the claustrophobic, hard-to-breathe feeling probably coming over the disciples, especially Peter's chest, knowing there's nothing he could do to take back his last statement for the Lord. You see, without the resurrection, the shamed in the world are never comforted. And they are left alone with the horrible pain of the things they've done in the past, the things that they've said, the people that they left down. They're left alone to deal with that. Never coming to a place of comfort and joy. Peter was not comforted. But something happened on the third day. Something happened when the stone rolled away and the women came to see the body of Jesus and he was not there. And an angel appeared and spoke to one of the women and said this, Go, tell the disciples, get this in the book of Mark, Go, tell the disciples and Peter. Go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, Jesus just as he told you. And what do we see? We see Jesus appearing to the disciples and we no longer see weeping and shame in the life of Peter. I, I imagine maybe Peter, when he heard that Jesus was resurrection, maybe disbelief, but maybe, maybe even fear. Oh no, he's alive. He's going to strike me dead because of what I did. I don't know. We can't speculate that. We don't see that All we see is excited disciples of Jesus who realize that the one died has been risen and is alive and has come back. And what's true about what Jesus said to them up in the upper room, he said, in a little while your hearts will be very sorrowful, very true, especially for Peter. A lot of sorrow. But he said, then you, in a little while you'll see me again. And your sorrow will be turned to joy. And he said, the world will not be able to take that away from you. And we see Jesus affirming and comforting and bringing life and joy and forgetfulness to the things that Peter had done in the past because he's so overwhelmed by the reality that Jesus has raised from the dead and is there and goes on to affirm and call and confirm Peter. When we see Peter on that In the boat, Jesus coming to the shore later after he had resurrected, Peter realizes it's Jesus on the shore, and he just jumps out of the boat, and he starts swimming, 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 getting to the one whom he loves the most. And by the seashore, we hear the famous words of Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And though grieved in the moment, remembering his last statement for Jesus, 
it wasn't his last statement for Jesus because Peter goes on to, to be a great leader for the Lord, used by God in power, useful and purposeful and great. And here we are, thousands of years later, reading about the great things that Peter has done and knowing from history that he died. He ended up dying and giving his life for the sake of his Lord. And so the last statement he ever made was not one filled with shame, but it was one filled with power, one filled with honor and respect and giving glory to the one who's do it all. You see, because of the resurrection, though without it the shame are never comforted the resurrection comes and calls the shame to grace the resurrection comes and calls the shame to receive grace grace is if you've never heard it the best thing in the universe it is God himself giving us something giving us a gift giving us something we do not deserve and giving us freely regardless of the things that we've done regardless of the guilt and the shame that we feel god extends to us grace a free gift where he says i love you so much i know what you've done but i've given my son to wipe all of that away i've laid on him the punishment and the wickedness and the wrath that you deserve i've put it on my son because i love you shamed He loves you. He proved it to you. Do not believe the lies in your hearts that you cannot be forgiven. Do not believe them. And when you go to him the 300th time to ask forgiveness and to ask for help and comfort for the same thing over and over and over, you need to know that he has already forgiven you if you've approached him with it. Let me remind you of someone who dealt with shame in a different way than other people and received the very thing they wanted when Jesus was talking to those who wanted to exalt themselves above others. He gave a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. Tax collector, wicked, evil. Everyone knew him. No one trusted him. Wicked, evil men who stole and took advantage of people. And it says the Pharisee stood there and prayed. said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I tithe every week. I'm not like this tax collector. I do everything great. And it says the tax collector stood off and he beat his breast and he wouldn't even look to heaven. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what do we see Jesus, God himself? How do we see Jesus responding to that person filled with such shame? He says, I tell you, that man is justified. Justified. That man's going to be with me because he understands. He understands who he is. He understands his failures and his wickedness. And he cries out to me for mercy, and he gets it. Everyone who cries out to me gets it. I know their heart. I know them. I'm here for them. I'm here to comfort and affirm and establish them. But you know what? We deal with shame in a very wrong way. We either come to God and we ask for help, or we continue to wallow with it with no comfort, feeling hopeless constantly. And we remind you of another person who was filled with shame. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. And when he heard that Jesus had been given over to death to be crucified, he tried to throw the money back to the people who paid him off. They wouldn't take it. It says he went and he hung himself. But Jesus rose. Jesus rose so we don't have to be overwhelmed with the mistakes of the past. And some of us here may even be experiencing the utter destructive lie of the enemy to give up maybe even to take your own life, do not, do not 
let shame win in your life when victory has already been given to you personally to you by a God who loves you so much he gave up his only son he wants you to see Jesus has raised and that he's died for you and hear his word that says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and to hear Hebrews that says that the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from a guilty conscience and so the shamed find the comfort and the hope they're looking for in the grace of God that's given freely. But not just the shamed. We're all skeptics. We're all selfish. And we're all filled with shame. We all need the grace of God. The thing that intervenes in our place when our works fall short and we can't do anything to get ourselves to God when we can't make up for the things that we've done in the past. When we're constantly stuck and we feel nothing but wrath and condemnation and the judgment of God coming to to kill us and to take us over. God invades the world with the Son. He rises Him from the dead. He defeats death and He says, Oh, come to me. Come to me. The veil has been torn. I'm not separated. You're not separated because Jesus has a accomplished it all can come to me freely and experience the grace and the mercy and the help that they need i give it freely i don't want anyone to perish i want all to come to repentance children i've created you i loved you god says come to jesus come to jesus he's the only hope for the world and so this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of jesus we realize there is power and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you believe in him, says we'll give life to your mortal bodies. You don't need to live in shame anymore. You don't need to be selfish anymore. You don't need to be a skeptic anymore. Come to Jesus. As we come to the end of this service, I want us to spend a time in prayer. I want us to reflect on the things that we heard today because we looked at three different portraits of people and perhaps you saw one in particular that sounds like you. Perhaps all of them. Part of it you were like, yes, 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 that's me. I want to remind you of what the Word of God is calling us to. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. The Bible says humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. The Bible reminds us it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. I think of those three people, the skeptic, the selfish, and the shamed. I want to remind you, God is bigger than each one of those. His resurrection is more powerful than each one of those. Some of you are here, perhaps you haven't been knowledgeable of this, perhaps you didn't hear this before. I want to let you know, you are not here by accident. You are here perhaps because someone invited you, perhaps family invited you. There are people that have prayed for you. If you don't know these things, there are people who are praying for you. Perhaps it's your spouse, perhaps it's your kids, perhaps it's your parents, your grandparents, perhaps it's your neighbor. Their desire is to see you receive the Lord Jesus today. They want you to know the power of His resurrection, to see that His sacrifice for you is sufficient and the glory of the resurrection will be yours in newness of life. So I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know Him? 
If you do know him, perhaps you were convicted by things in your life. You say, God, that, that doesn't look at all like a person who knows you. So I'm going to ask you to pray and ask for forgiveness and go to God again in renewed joy and anticipation for all the things that he had and will continue to do for you. Not only the power of the resurrection, but power to live now for his glory. So I invite you, either have a seat, come up here, remain standing, but pray. I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then I'm going to close in prayer as well over you. So go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would draw your people in this moment, even now, to yourself by your grace. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, draw us near to you in humility, always coming to you, hearing your voice, going to you. Lord, I pray that we would understand the magnitude and wonder of your grace and your love and your mercy so that we would be able to approach you with confidence, Lord. Lord, if there is a heart that has sought you for the first time in repentance and faith, I pray that they would communicate that for the joy of their family, for the joy of us. Lord, because we know that if that is true, that the heavens themselves are celebrating. Lord, be pleased with us today. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for loving us.